Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are in Genesis chapter 20, and the title of the study is God's Intervention. God's Intervention. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that this word come from you. You breathe it out. God breathed word. We thank you for preserving your word, Father, and and we're able to read it today. We're We're able to study it today. I just pray, Father, that a timely word will be spoken, something that'll be a blessing to somebody that once again has prayed earlier that when we leave this place, we'll be more like Jesus than when we came. And so we pray over all of that, Father. We pray that um, you'll help me with the gift of teaching, that I'll be able to rightly divide your word of truth, and that I'll be sensitive to your Holy Spirit during this time. And so, Father, I pray that I would decrease and you increase, and that you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in this study, we're going to go from focusing on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to go from focusing on Lot and then focus on Abraham and his wife, Sarah, once again. And as we go through this study, as usual, we'll need to be open to whatever God has for us. And I like to call that a timely word, a a word that we need to hear at this particular season. So no matter what we're going through, where we are in our lives, in our walk with him, our spiritual walk with him, uh, there's something that God has uh, for us. And so all of us, whether I'm teaching or, you know, just listening, wherever we are tonight, may we be open to what the Lord has for us and, and also to the work of his spirit. And so uh, we're going to look at verses one and two in Genesis chapter 20. It says, and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister and Abimelech king of Gerar sent And took Sarah, that is, he took Abraham's wife, Sarah, into his harem. And so some of you may think if you've been here for the other studies that this is um, something that we covered before. No, this is not something we covered before. It's just that he's doing uh, the same thing, but in a different place. But just for starters, in in verse 1, where he moved from was a place called Hebron. And he moved from Hebron to further south in Gerar, which was south of Gaza. Of course, you've been hearing a lot about Gaza in the news and the situation with Israel. And so this was south of, uh, Gerar was south of Gaza. And so he moved there for an unknown reason. He moved to Gerar for a reason, of course, that we do not know. The scriptures don't tell us. But Gerar was a Philistine city. And it was an ancient trading post that was located between Beersheba and Gaza on the Mediterranean coast. 
And according to one source, uh, this was a prosperous city, as was revealed through archaeological findings in that place. Now, the name Abimelech means Melech is my father, or it could mean my father is king. And so Abimelech was a Philistine king. Now, it may be worth pointing out that uh, Abimelech may not be his proper name, but it may be a royal title that is used instead, just like Pharaoh is more of a title and not a proper name for a king in Egypt. And so the same goes for Abimelech. And so during this time, Abimelech was the king, as the text tells us, of a place called Gerar. And the Bible tells us that he took Sarah, Abraham's wife, to be a part of his harem or his group of wives and concubines or those secondary wives. So apparently at the age of 89 years old or 90 years old, Sarah was still attractive. Even at that age here, according to the scriptures, and you can tell this because he wanted her, but it could also be that Abimelech saw Sarah um, as a, you know, as being in a relationship with her. He saw that as some type of political uh, value. So that's another reason, not just for her looks, but, but because it can help him politically. And so that is also a possible reason why Abimelech will want to take Sarah and make her a part of his harem. And by the way, at that time, the king had a right to take any single woman that he wanted to and make her a part of that group of wives or secondary wives that, who we call concubines. But we see in this scripture, and I kind of hinted at it, that it kind of sounds like a replay, and it is, because this is something that Abraham did as far as, you know, telling his wife that, um, you know, hey, just, you, just let people know you're my sister, I'm your brother. He did that in Egypt because he left the land of promise, left, left the land of Canaan because of a famine. He went to Egypt and he was afraid, did this same thing that we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 20. And so it's been 20 plus years and he still made the same mistake, albeit in a different place in Gerar. And so the lesson for us is, is that uh, as we look at the life of Abraham and what has taken place in this chapter in Genesis 20, uh, we can learn that we, we must learn from our mistakes. We shouldn't be repeating our mistakes. That should not be happening as a believer especially if the Lord was so merciful and gracious to us the first time and he spared us, spared our lives, and we didn't get exactly what we deserve. We should learn from those mistakes. In fact, there are things uh, in the scriptures that are recorded uh, in the Old Testament, for example, for us to learn from, not to copy or emulate. And so we can learn from Abraham. Learn from him of of what not to do. And what not to do is to to make the same mistakes over and over again. In verse 3 it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and he said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. 
for she is a man's wife. And so God, according to verse 3, gave Abimelech, this king of Gerar, warning before he continued to go in that direction that he was going. You see, Sarah was not just any man's wife. She was the wife of a man with whom God had entered into an unconditional covenant with. This was a man that God had made a promise to. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. A man whom he told that he's going to be a blessing and that from him um, all the people of the earth will be blessed. And of course, we know that to be through the Messiah who was, according to his humanity, a Jew. He was from the tribe of Judah. And so this was not just anybody's wife. You see, a righteous and a loving God gave a warning to this man, to this pagan king. And this same righteous and a loving God, this gracious God also gives us warnings. And we see those warnings in his word. See, in his word, he warns us about the consequences of sin. He warns us about the destructive nature of sin. And so we will be wise to to take heed to God's warning. And many of you have probably already read the chapter, and so um, it won't be any news to you. But for some of you who maybe have not read it, we're going to see if Abimelech takes heed to God's warning about this potential relationship with Sarah. And so in verse four, it says, but Abimelech, now remember, this is all in a dream, but it says, but Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. And he says, in the integrity of my heart, or in other words, with a clear conscience or with pure intentions and the innocence of my hands, with clean hands, I've done this. I've taken her to be a part of my harem. In verse six, and God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart or with this pure conscience, for I also withheld or kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And so now that Abimelech knows that Sarah is Abraham's wife, He is supposed to respond accordingly. You see, if he were to keep her, he will be held responsible for that, for his disobedience. And of course, he would face the consequences. See, there's many people today who've been uh, made aware of what the word of God says about various topics, about what is right, what is wrong. There's many people today who have been made aware of the gospel message. First of all, we're, we're all sinners that, 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 that all have sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short, in other words, or miss the mark of God's holy and perfect standard. We miss the bullseye, in other words, and that is all human beings. 
And so in the gospel message, God the Son, second uh, person in the Trinity, stepped down into time, took upon himself, clothed himself in human flesh, went to the cross on Calvary, hung on the cross, shed his blood, his very life poured out from him because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And the fact that he wanted to be obedient to the will of the Father, the fact that he loves us, kept him on that cross. And as he hung on that cross, he proclaimed that it is finished. The debt that we owed has been paid. He paid the price of our sin with his own blood, as the scripture tells us. Second Corinthians chapter 5. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So the one who is perfect, the one who never sinned, was tempted but never sinned. Perfect in his deity because he's fully or truly God. And he he was perfect also in his humanity. Didn't sin, but yet and still he became a sin offering for each and every person who has ever lived. Paid the price. He can say that it is finished. And then, of course, the gospel message doesn't end there. It doesn't end with his death. It doesn't end with his burial. But the scriptures tell us that he was resurrected. And the fact that he was resurrected proves that whatever he said about himself is true. So when he claimed that before Abraham was, I am, claiming to be God, that means that what he said is true. That means also that God, the Father, has accepted his sacrifice as a receipt of the payment. And so as we share this gospel message with people and many people have heard, and that's one thing that came out of the uh, quote unquote COVID season in 2020, that it gave us a little kick in the pants as a church to get our live stream going and not just us, but many other local churches. And so the gospel has gone a little further than it has in the past. And so there's many people and and there's many of you who may be posting scriptures on Facebook and and Twitter or what was formerly called Twitter and and all these things. You're posting scriptures. You have these group texts with your families and, and you're posting scriptures in the text messages. You've been sharing the gospel at work during your break time, for example, or with your fellow classmates. And so there's many people who have been exposed to the gospel who have been exposed to the word of God. And so they cannot claim to have not heard the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's for many people. Of course, there are some who've not heard, but I'm just saying that there's many who have been exposed. But those who have been exposed, unfortunately, have not all received the gospel, have not all received Jesus as their personal savior and Lord. There's even some who choose to, to mock him. They choose to ridicule him and his followers. They, they choose to reject him. And so for that, they will have to bear those consequences. And so God is not going to arbitrarily send anybody to hell. But, but the fact that their sin separates them from God and the fact that they, re, they, they rejected the cure in Jesus Christ for that sin they, they, they themselves determine where they're going to spend eternity, and, and that is in hell. That eternal separation from God. 
described as outer darkness and having these eternal flames. And people, of course, are still going to have their conscience. They're still going to remember. But there's not going to be that relationship with God there. It's not going to be party time. It's going to be a time of suffering and it's going to be eternal. And why should somebody suffer eternally for a sin committed in time? Well, it's because they have offended an eternal God. And so as long as God lives, he will never be able to look approvingly upon sin. And so if people uh, choose to remain in their sin by choosing to reject the Jesus that they have been exposed to, then them going to hell is all on them because our God is a righteous judge. You see, Abimelech had been exposed to the danger that he was in. It was up to him to obey. And those people who have heard the gospel that I've been talking about tonight, who've been exposed to it, they are responsible to obey. If they don't, then the consequences once again are upon them. And the scriptures teach that the more people know, the more they are responsible for. Therefore, the more consequences that they'll suffer. The scriptures teach that. In fact, Luke uh, chapter 12 is Jesus speaking, verses 47, 48. It says, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but... He who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. He's going to be beaten, but with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So those people who have been exposed to the gospel, Abimelech, who have been exposed to what's going to happen to him if he doesn't return Abraham's wife to him. Well, those consequences are going to be some severe in James chapter 3, verse 1, this is, the thing, this is the reason why many of us should not just rush to become teachers. Because it says here, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. See, we ought to know better. We spend time in the word of God. We teach another people. We ought to know better. So uh, we shall receive a stricter judgment. We're held to the, uh, a higher standard the more we know and not obey as teachers, be beaten with many stripes. But, but I like what, what God says about Abraham as he's speaking to Abimelech in this dream. Because one thing that may be interesting to you, because it's interesting to me, is that Abraham is called a prophet. And then there, what I want to do here, because I mentioned the word prophet, is to make you aware of that, um, the, the first mention alert that we've done in some previous studies. And so this is the first mention alert because this is the first time the word prophet appears in the Bible. And it's attached to Abraham in this type of embarrassing situation, but he's a prophet. And in this case, prophet implies a person who has a close relationship with God rather than one speaking for God. 
And so he has this close relationship with God. God had been speaking to him throughout the years, entered into this unconditional covenant with him and so forth, has big plans for him and his wife, for his descendants. His descendants, of course, are Israel, the nation of Israel. God tells him that, that this prophet Abraham, he's going to pray for you. And his prayer, God tells him, will allow you to live because God had determined to work through the prayer of this prophet Abraham to heal Abimelech of whatever is going on. You see, Abraham, he messed up. He messed up once again in this situation. He messed up in a similar situation in Egypt and he messed up in Gerar with Abimelech. But notice that it did not change his calling. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or can never be withdrawn. That also goes for the nation of Israel. And so, yes, there may be some who are apart blood-wise, a part of the nation of Israel, and, and maybe they're not worshiping the true and the living God at this point, maybe because they haven't received Jesus yet. So maybe that's the case, but it doesn't mean that God is not going to turn his attention back to him because he is. But right now we are in what you would call the church age. And Pastor Jim on, on Sundays, he's going through the book of Revelation. And, and, and when, you're, when you're reading chapters two and three, you're looking at the church age. So that's where we are right now. We're in chapters two and three. We're, we're in the church age still. And that church age doesn't end until the rapture of the church. But after that, he's going to turn his attention back to Israel. They're still the chosen nation. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And we see that, of course, being applied to Abraham. Yes, he messed up, but it didn't change his calling. He is still a prophet and God is still going to use him, use his prayer to heal Abimelech. In verses 8 through 10. As we look back in Genesis 20, it says, So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view? What were you thinking? That you have done this thing, that you that you lied about <clears throat> Sarah being your wife. And so we see that Abimelech told his servants what God had showed him in a dream. And then he began to rebuke or criticize um, Abraham in a sharp way. <clears throat> so here you have this pagan king, this Philistine king telling this man of God. What what he's done wrong. He's pointing out his fault. Saying, what what have you done to us? What you've done to us, man, that's something that should not be done. That's just wrong. Why, Why you do us this way? Putting us in danger. A pagan king telling this to a prophet of God, a, a man God had called. And, and for us, it's a shame 
when the world rebukes us legitimately for not being Christ-like. I'm talking about legitimately. Because they say some stuff, some people in the world say stuff that's off the wall about Christians, but then sometimes there's some legitimate stuff they may say. Well, if you really believe in your Bible, if you really believe that, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, then how come you're not sharing the gospel like you're supposed to, Christian? You have some people from the world who would say things like that, that would legitimately rebuke us or you claim to be a Christian and you're cursing like they curse, having sex outside of marriage like the world is doing, abusing drugs or alcohol like the world is doing, like everybody else is doing, doing the same things that they are doing. Then the world may have a legitimate reason to abuke, rebuke us. Well, you, you're telling us about the Bible. You're telling us uh, about your Jesus, your God. And, and look at you. You're living the way we are living. And so it's a shame when the world ever has that opportunity to legitimately rebuke Christians. But that rebuke must be received in humility. Just like it says in Proverbs 12, 1. Not necessarily humility, but, but this is what he says, and, and the word of God is plain. It says, whoever loves instruction or dis- discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's in the word of God. You know, Abraham, I don't, I don't believe he was, he was stupid. I, so I believe that he's receiving this instruction in humility. But, but the person who hates correction, who hates somebody pointing out, you know what, you, you're going in the wrong way. You should, should do it this way according to the word of God. The ha- person who hates that, according to Proverbs, it says it's, it's stupid. And so the, the, the teachable person, and hopefully will be teachable, no matter where, where the rebuke comes from, if it's legitimate, the teachable person, they will show that they really want to learn. Because they'll listen in humility and they'll make the necessary corrections. But the other lesson here that we can take from this is that we as believers, we we need to be careful of how we're talking, of how we're living amongst the people in the world. Amongst those who are not believers. We have to ask ourselves, are, are we truly living a life that's different from those in the culture? Can they tell that, that we are believers? Can they tell that there's something different about us? Is there something about us? Are we letting off a Christ-like aroma to the point where, where people are looking at our lives and they just want some of who we have in our lives, who is Jesus? The Colossians 4 5 says, to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, those who are outside of the church, those who are outside of the body of Christ, redeeming the time or making the most of every opportunity to walk in wisdom, obey the word of God, walk in obedience. So, so as we serve God, as we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, as we do our good deeds through the power of the Holy Spirit, people will see our good works. They'll, they'll see that, and hopefully they'll begin to glorify our, our, our Father in heaven. So that should be the goal. Verses 11 through 13, back in Genesis 20, it says, And Abraham said, Because 
I thought, and now he's answering, he's answering that question from Abimelech. Where Abimelech asked him, what did, what did you have in mind? What, what was going on through your head that you've done this? And so he said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father. His father is Sarah, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. And so in Abraham's response to Abimelech, Abraham revealed the full extent of his relationship with Sarah, that she is both his half-sister and his wife. He also revealed that he had made this agreement or arrangement with Sarah to leave the wife part out, to only say that I'm your brother as we leave this place called Haran and travel and do our travel. So every place that we go to in order to spare my life, because people are going to want you, you're, you're beautiful. And just say that I'm your brother. Don't, don't say you're my wife. And of course, we know that this agreement would, it had caused issues in Egypt and now here with Abimelech and Gerar. So since Abraham left out the wife part of the relationship and he only presented the sister-brother relationship as if it were the whole truth, in essence, it was a complete lie. For, for only part of their relationship was told in order for him to be a deceptive to, to spare his life. And so based on Abraham's explanation, what we can see here is that his, that, that his actions were motivated by fear. That this agreement and, and, and him telling this half-truth or, or this lie, you know, just leaving out the wife part. Motivated because of the fear of men, which was served as a snare for him. You fear people killing him so they can take Sarah. And that's the thing about fear. It, it often makes us do irrational things. And the thing about fear is that many times it's actually based on things that, that are not even real, that things that don't even come to pass. So yes, you really feel fear in that moment. But, but like I said, it's often based on things that are really not around the corner waiting on us. Normally based on things that are not really a threat. You see, with Abraham, who have had these, these conversations with God, even had a conversation with, with Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, and what we call a Christophany. This man of God, what he could have done was fall back on the promise and the unconditional covenant that, that God had made with him. And that would have strengthened his faith. If he would have gone through those lands, and, and again, we don't know why he left Hebron to go to Gerar, but, but as he went on his way and fear would have crept up, he could have been like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I am kind of afraid of what they might do because my wife is, is beautiful, even though she's 89, 90 years, years old. You know, God had made some promises to me. God has entered into this unconditional 
um, covenant with me, this agreement with me. God had, has promised me that, that, that he is my shield, that he is my reward. I, I'm going to fall back on that. That's something that Abraham could have done. It, it would have bolstered or strengthened his faith. And from that, as, as believers, we can, we can take a lesson there. We can, we can take a word that, that I would think would be a timely word for all of us. Because we're, we're li- living in crazy times. We're living at a time in which um, people could, could really be overcome by fear. And so as believers, we, we should fall back on what we know in God's word. We should fall back on what God has revealed about himself, about his character, that he is sovereign, that God is in charge, that he is all powerful, that he is our shield, that he is our buckler, that he is our rock, that God is our stronghold or fortress, that he is our hiding place. We can fall back upon the word of God. That whatever he has promised us, he's going to keep his word because God is not like man where he should lie. And so in a time of fear, we can always fall back upon the word of God, upon what he has revealed to us, what he has revealed about himself. And it would have been great if Abraham would have done that. He would have saved himself some trouble in his dealings with Abimelech and also um, the situation in Egypt. So this agreement, this agreement that he made with his wife, Sarah, I would say it reveals something about Sarah that is actually pointed out in the New Testament. And the thing that's revealed about Sarah, even in the New Testament, is that, that, that she is a godly woman. Yeah, she had some Issues with faith here and there. She laughed. We seen she laughed and in, in doubt. We, we saw that. But overall, she's a godly woman, a woman of faith. But we see that she was a submissive wife to her husband. And in First Peter chapter three, uh, particularly verses one through six, uh, shows us that she serves as a godly example to wives. And so wives Women who are wives, and only a woman, true woman, by the way, could be a wife, biblically. It is true that wives are called to be submissive to their husbands and respect them. We see that in the word of God. However, this submissiveness does not apply to areas in which sin is involved. You always honor God first. It also goes that way with government, with Christians in government. Yes, we're to obey the government. They say stop at a red light. Okay, the red light has nothing to do with sin. Just stop at the red light. If you go to a store and they have some free candy there and they say, please take one, do not sneak two. If you go to a buffet and they say, do not take the cookies out of this buffet and you sneak them in your pocket anyway, that's, you know better. Right? <laughs> Don't do that. But, but, but listen, if they tell us, the government tells us, a store, restaurant, whatever, tells us, husband, wives, tells us to do something that's sinful, we always go with God. Amen. We honor him first. 
And so in this case, yes, she's, she's noted, admired for being a, a submissive and respectful and, and, and a godly wife. But I just wanted to throw that out there in case you were wondering. In verses 14 through 16, Genesis 20, it says, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell or settle where it pleases you. Wherever you want to stay in my land, go ahead, Abraham. We're good. Then Sarah, then to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces or 25 pounds of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. And so Abimelech added to Abraham's riches and then, of course, was obedient to God, to what God told him in the dream. He, he also restored Sarah to her husband, Abraham. And so one thing that we see here is this expression after adding to Abraham's riches by giving him a thousand pieces of silver, it says that this vindicates you. And so literally, it means it is a covering of the eyes. It is a covering of the eyes. That's what it literally means. And so in other words, that this gift of a thousand pieces of silver was served as evidence that nothing improper happened. It also serves as, as, as evidence that Sarah was innocent in the eyes of all. And so that's what it was served as. She was vindicated. And so following that, it says, thus she was rebuked. And so that could be misleading because because thus she was rebuked, it, it really means that she was fully vindicated or that her reputation is clear. And so if you look at various um, Bible translations, you'll, you'll see that it'll, that it'll say that, that she was fully vindicated or her reputation was, is clear. That's what it means where it says thus she was rebuked. Also, if you look at the previous sentence, when it talks about those thousand pieces of silver vindicating her, it fits with the context. And then finally, if you look at the Hebrew word behind she was rebuked, one of the definitions means that, yeah, her reputation is clear. That's pretty much what it's saying. And so Sarah, she's good to go as well. In verses 17 and 18, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children. They were able to have children at this point for the Lord. As a part of what was going on previously. Had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so God had closed their wombs because um, he wanted to ensure that she would not get pregnant by uh, Abimelech. So he, cl- he closed all those wombs of those women. You see, but Abimelech also probably suffered from something that the Lord brought upon him because it, it, it mentioned that he needed to be healed as well. And earlier it mentioned about, you know, him being at the point of death, that he's a dead man and so forth. But what's interesting about this, after Abraham praying to God for him, after him being in the wrong, he prayed for this guy who just 
didn't know what was going on. Him and his household healed. That, that, from this man's prayer. And so we see that God chose to work through his prayer. God chose that because, and I want to point that out because there's some things that God is going to do regardless of prayer. There's some things, whether you pray or not, he's going to do it. But there's something that he chooses to work. Sometimes he chooses to work through prayer. And here he chose to work through the prayer of Abraham in order to heal this king, his wife, and his female servants. See, Proverbs 15, verse 29 says that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Fast forward to the New Testament. James 5, 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One translation says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And so what, what am I doing? I'm, yes, I'm still calling Abraham righteous, even though he messed up in this situation. And how can I still call him righteous? Call him righteous because God calls him righteous. And in fact, the Bible says that he was declared righteous by faith. And so this righteousness that I'm referring to in speaking about Abraham, I'm speaking of the fact that he has this right standing with God through faith. He trusted in God, and so he was justified. And it's the same thing with us as believers. For us, we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. But the righteousness that we have, the righteousness that Abraham had, is because it was imputed into his spiritual account. Why? Through faith, not through his works, not because he was circumcised or anything like that. Not because we were baptized in water, if you were baptized in water. That's not what makes you righteous. But it's the fact that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. So the righteousness of Christ is imputed into our account. And God imputed that righteousness into Abraham's account. So that's why I can still call Abraham righteous. And so that's why I can still say that God can hear the prayer of this righteous man, Abraham. And that the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I can say that could apply to Abraham because his prayer did avail in this situation. However... Even though we have a right standing with God, that's our position in Christ, this imputed righteousness. Practically, as we go through the process of sanctification, we need to now become what we are in our standing. So now in the process of sanctification, we need to start walking, start living in righteousness now. And that, of course, by surrendering to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to work in us and through us and conforming us into the image of, the son, of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so we need to be growing at this point. So yes, we declare it righteous. That standing will not move. It's a declaration of righteousness. But now 
we're living. We need to become less like the old us and more like Jesus. We need to grow. And also as believers, I do want to let you know that our prayers could be hindered. If we do regard sin in our hearts, which means that there's some type of unconfessed sin in our hearts. We're just enjoying sin. We're made aware of sin in our lives, but, but we just love it. We're participating in it, just not thinking about the Lord, just thinking about pleasing ourselves. And it's just unconfessed. And according to Psalm 66, 18, if we regard sin in our hearts, he will not hear us. That, so I do want to point that out, that our hearts could be, our prayers could be hindered. And so like Abraham, just like he prayed for the, the, the you know, for the pagan king Abimelech, we too should be praying for unbelievers. Because you never know, it could be that it's God's will to work through our prayers to be a blessing to someone else. And so we always have to be ready to pray. We always have to be willing to pray. And so although God gives us, as we get ready to bring it all to a close here, although God gives us free will, I want you to notice that God kept Abimelech from sin. And it tells us that in in verse 6. He tells them that I also withheld you from sinning against me. So I asked free will, but God intervened in this situation. God stepped in in this situation to, to, to prevent him from sinning against him. God also protected Abraham and Sarah from being affected by this potential sin. But here's the thing that you may not have noticed in in verse 6, and I just read it, but you may not have picked up on it. When it's all said and done, so so yes, we, we do sin against people, but when it's all said and done, ultimately, all sin is against God because it's God's law that has been broken. See, there are times when God will intervene in the potential sinful situation. Just like we see here in this study. So, so maybe God will intervene in the potential sinful situation in order to prevent someone from personal harm. Just like with Abimelech, because he told him, indeed, you are a dead man. You're going to hurt yourself. And if you keep going in this way and you end up having uh, relations with Sarah, you are a dead man. You don't return this man's wife, Abraham's wife, to him. You're a dead man. So so sometimes God will intervene in a potential sinful situation to prevent someone from personal harm. Sometimes he would intervene to prevent someone from harming others. In this case, to prevent him from, from causing issues within Abraham and Sarah's marriage. Sometimes God would intervene in a potential sinful situation in order to make sure that his plan will fall into place. You see, for Abraham and Sarah, God had a plan to to use them to bring about this son of promise. The son of promise is Isaac. From him will come Jacob. Jacob's name will, 
of course, be changed to Israel. From him, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes is Judah. From Judah would eventually come, you know, King David and so forth and all the way to Christ. So God had a plan. And so sometimes God will intervene in a potential sinful situation like we saw in Genesis 20 in order to make sure that his plan will not be messed up, but that his plan will fall into place. God sovereignly stepped in. His sovereignty means that he is in absolute authority and he is unrestricted in his supremacy. And God, by the way, is not limited in his ways of intervening. In Genesis 20 with Abimelech, he he came to him in a dream. He intervened to prevent him from messing up himself and, and other people. Another way God could intervene is to use a brother or sister in Christ to maybe share a word of knowledge with you. And that's one of the spiritual gifts, by example, uh, for example. The word of knowledge, knowledge that a person previously had not learned or knowledge they previously do not know, had not known. But God gave it to them to help you out so God could use a, a fellow Christian to 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 get in the way of you just make it a mess of your situation or maybe you're about to go somewhere that you're not supposed to be well god could intervene and cause your car to not start we can't put god in a box or sometimes god could just simply remind you of the big picture he could give you a big picture perspective of what's going on or to remind you of some biblical truth Then I shared this situation before that's happened to my family and me in the past. You know, when my kids were younger, they used to play, uh, they used to play sports and so basketball, football, these things. Daughter was a cheerleader. And so we we had this uh, kind of small vehicle, Mazda 5. My wife could not stand that vehicle, but we were rolling in that thing, all, all six of us. Because uh, I have four children. And so we're, we're driving on the 10 freeway on our way to Avondale for a basketball tournament. One of my uh, sons were in. And on our way there, this truck t- tries to get over. And, and so I kind of like, oh, kind of slowed down, let him get over. And then he just stayed in this lane like he was going to let me just, okay, just keep going straight. But when I tried to go, he made a hard, you know, right or whatever almost like he purposely tried to run me off the road and so here you have this family of six in this small vehicle this Mazda 5 we literally spent all around I mean just a just a full 360 on the freeway on the 10 freeway not just any freeway and the whole time I'm just bracing for impact I'm just bracing for impact and then the the car finally stopped spinning and I look and there was literally no cars coming and so I, I, I was like, wow. So I just, I'm, and at this time, my, my blood is boiling at that person in that truck. And I, and I start to, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm chasing this truck down. I'm not, this, this is ridiculous. So I started to chase him down, but then I was just reminded of the big picture. In other words, God intervened, you know, in that situation so I wouldn't sin. You know, and the way he intervened is that I was reminded of, you know what, what just happened was miraculous. 
what, what just happened is unusual. You need to be thankful. And, and so and that's, that's the way he intervened in that situation for me. And so, so for you, maybe God will remind you of a big picture perspective or maybe some biblical truth in order to prevent you from falling into the trap of sin. But as, but as the worship team takes the stage, I want, I want you to notice something. That, that God intervened in Abimelech's situation, getting back to him, this king of Gerar. He intervened in his situation because, of course, of, of his relationship with Abraham and Sarah. But also, Abimelech himself was ignorant of what was going on. So, so God intervened, withheld him from sinning against him. Now, for us, what we have is the word of God to help us learn what's right and wrong ahead of time. We have that to help us to learn right and wrong ahead of time. But also, I can see the wisdom in praying the following prayer. If, if we were to pray, Lord, if, if something is not right about this, maybe it's something that's not in the word of God, it's not really clear, but... But, but again, I see the wisdom in praying, Lord, if this is not right, if, if, if what I'm about to do is, is not in your will, Lord, I want you to show me. I want you to intervene. I want to leave the door open for you to intervene in this situation to prevent me from doing something that's not in your will. I can see the wisdom in that type of prayer. And I believe that God will step in because he does not want any of us to sin. He does not want any of us to do anything outside of his will. So I do see the wisdom in praying that type of prayer. And so if any of you have been in this situation or, or maybe in that type of example that I've shared with you, I, I would encourage you to just praise God. Just praise God. Lord, you, you stepped in. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know exactly what I was doing. I wasn't sure of the situation, but you intervened and you made it plain to me that that is not what you'll have me to do. So I praise you, Lord. And so we serve a righteous, a holy God, God who loves people, a God who's going to, who has done and continue to do what he can to make sure we have everything in place to ensure that our walk will be successful in him. And so we praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you are to us. We thank you, Lord, for those times you intervened in our lives when just when we were about to do something that's just, just not in your will, just, just not right with you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would help us to take whatever was shared in the study and by your spirit, help us to apply it to our lives and help us, Lord, to even share it with others. And Lord, as I shared earlier in this study, use us to, to pray for the unbelievers. Use us to pray for other believers to, to take advantage of that opportunity to spend time with you, Lord, especially on behalf of others. 
And so, Father, I pray that you'll bless my brothers and sisters tonight on our way home. That as we leave this place, but not your presence, that you bless us with traveling grace. Use us in a mighty way this week. All for your glory. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.